0: In a time that is volatile, join us. Welcome back to the Imperfect podcast. I'm delighted to have a gentleman who is currently living and working in Tokyo. So it's early morning here in Canada, but for Paul Kesson, it's nine o'clock at night. So let me tell you a little bit about Paul. He is the vice president and owner. He is a retail consultant, and he has quite a trajectory of leadership in both Canada and also in Japan. So I'm very excited to welcome him to the podcast and chat with him today. So Paul, thank you for staying up late and ending your day by joining me on the Imperfect Podcast.
1: My pleasure, my pleasure.
0: And I'm delighted to meet and interview another heart-centered leader. So can I assume that you are a fellow Canadian, but you're living in Tokyo, Japan right now?
1: That's right. And uh, you'll probably hear it in my accent as as we start to talk further, but absolutely. Born and raised in Calgary, Alberta.
0: Well, it's, it's an honor to have you, and I, I really want to thank you for, for reaching out and having interest in the podcast, but I'm, I'm more grateful that you stepped into the arena to say, I'm a heart-centered leader, and, and let's have a chat. So you have had your career primarily in the retail sector. So where I would love to start this rich conversation is, could you share with us how your heart-centered leadership has really translated in culture because you started in Canada and you've relocated to Japan. And I know we've chatted and you said, this is the second time in Japan. So I'd really like to start there. If you could give us a little insight, <clears throat> excuse me, to the trajectory of your career.
1: Uh, yeah, you know, I, I, so I started with uh, Gap Inc. Um, when they uh, had fewer stores in Canada, they've got quite a, a following now, and and um, was working within Canada, and it was part of international division at the time that I was there. It's it's no longer that way, but uh, it was part, and there were some uh, opportunities and assignments to help grow the brand overseas in in Europe or in Asia, and I I raised my hand to say that I will go anywhere, and, and uh of course it's not just about raising your hand obviously you have to be competent at your job and i I didn't really know you know what i was getting into at first i just thought this is an exciting opportunity to experience the world and uh you know get paid while doing it and that was you know the initial motivation i didn't really um, know about japanese culture i didn't know uh, the language at all Um, but i loved the company And, uh, I loved what it stood for and, and, you know, I, I was fortunate to have strong leaders, uh, above me to learn from, uh, which really focused on people. And, um, you know, I I think that made it easy to, to embrace going into a new country because you have that grounding of a, of a company, you know, where, where you work, what's the culture, et cetera, of, of the organization and the, and the one you want to build. Um, you know, as far as the, how do the skills translate or the behaviors or heart-centered leadership, um, I think the, the intent translates, you know, the same. You know, I, I don't go trying to be a, a different person with the intent to teach and to learn. Uh, that's always been my, my guiding principles of, uh, I'm gonna get just as much out of a relationship as uh, you are from me and and I from you, because we're going to, uh, you know, have a teaching and learning uh, relationship. And, you know, coming at it from that perspective, I think, uh, made it a much more seamless and and smooth transition, uh, whether I knew the language or not, you know, people understood that I was also there to learn and and not just to teach and, and learn by doing. Um, you know, I think that was, was one of the keys of, of you know, starting to learn and adapt to the culture which has uh, so many you know, nuances but at the end of the day uh, people want to do a good job, you know, people want to be respected and people want to be motivated and I think you know, the, the intention of as a heart-centered leader is you want to bring that out in people and, and so that translates I think in any culture but how you do it uh, can certainly differ.
0: Well, I fully agree. And I've been following some of your posts on LinkedIn and a lot of the heart-centered leaders around the globe are preparing for the reopening. And you did a really insightful post yesterday saying, we can do anything, but we can't do everything. and i really liked that and i'd like you to just give insight to why you chose to post what you did yesterday and you gave some really good clear strategies about catalyzing your team and how to survive that and prosper and i'd love for you to just touch a little bit on that
1: uh yeah i you know i posted it just you know one of course thinking about businesses that are are starting to reopen. And, and I, I was thinking a little bit, you know, personally and professionally, you know, in, in a personal life, there's, there's lots going on for me right now, you know, as I, uh, think about career or think about next steps, think about, uh, um, you know, a potential return to Canada. Uh, you know, so there's, there's many balls in the air on that side. And, and, you know, as I start, as the businesses start to reopen here as well, Um, you know, it made me start to think about uh, transitions and and how do people uh, successfully transition into this new normal from a a work point of view and and how much is there to learn and how we have to adapt. And then, um, you know, it got me to thinking about how overwhelming, quickly overwhelming that can be, um, which prompted, you know, something I've often said throughout my career you know, companies have no shortage of things they want to accomplish. And uh, many times I would have to tell myself as well as, as with my team, you can do anything, but you can't do everything. So, you know, what is it critical that we need to do? And, um, you know, that's where I, I decided, you know, maybe a, a helpful post for anyone who's, uh, uh, potentially feeling that overwhelm as, as businesses start to open and, and no matter what their situation is could be personal could be professional um, but that's what what prompted me to to uh, you know sort of make that post and and a few helpful tips uh, along the way so did you want in, me to cover those
0: no it's it's great I'm I'm going to cover them in in a in a question here in a moment I'm just thinking sure. I'm, I would love your insight to pre-COVID-19 and the retail space with the onset of technology and Amazon and and people loving to, you know, sit in their living room and and order their groceries and what they need with the click of a button. Now that we're, you know, day 83 of this pandemic and you've had this, you know, multiple decades of rich experience, especially in leadership. Where do you see the future of retail going and, and what are your fears or apprehensions around the reopening?
1: Uh, great question. Um, you know, where do I see it going is, is certainly to be um, really more focused on the dual of, uh, of course, having an e-commerce capability. There was a lot of retailers that were, were sort of caught without that capacity and capability um quickly you know quickly trying to ramp up um, I, I do believe you know human beings are still tactile human beings particular when it comes to purchasing goods uh, they they want to feel them they want the the sensory experience they um you know it's not all about convenience so i i don't think that there's going to be a departure from uh brick and mortar but there's definitely going to be smaller stores in my opinion Um, there's going to be uh, a bit more care put into this the experience the store and customer experience Uh, as as people deal with less traffic have more space um, you know it's going to change what experiences retailers need to provide to their customers both online as well as in uh, in in the brick-and-mortar space so I I think you'll see um, fewer stores more e-commerce But the the merging of those experiences and, and, uh, you know, how they are connecting with the consumer at a different level than what it is today. You know, today is a lot of promotion, a lot of promotional activity uh, and not a lot of experience. But if you see the brands that are uh, have been the most successful and and particularly in Canada uh, with some of the Canadian brands, you know, Lululemon being one of them, uh, Aritzia being another one. you know, in Canada Goose, they're they're doing a lot more experiential. And I think you're going to see that uh, coming in the next, you know, short order, because they'll need it to survive.
0: Well, I was just going to say to you, I don't really think they have a choice, do they? I mean, technology is uh, the wave of the future. And if you look at different populations, whether it be the elderly or the disabled, it's such a, a non-ramp for them to their activities of daily living for autonomy and being proficient to do what they need to do and not have to depend on someone. And now I just see that it's been brought to such a different level. Yes. I I had some fun when I was naming this podcast and I chose the word imperfect. And you're the first guest that I've had that I want to ask this question. Do you think you can yeah. be a successful, progressive, heart-centered leader and be imperfect?
1: Absolutely. I, I, I actually I loved the title of the podcast because uh, I, I think you know one one core foundation of a heart-centered leader is humility, and for me, you know, humility leads to listening. You know, listening, of course, leads to that ability to empathize and to support and to understand and, and also to learn. But you can't do that if uh, if you don't have humility. And, and by having humility, of course, you're not perfect. That means you're willing to accept when you don't know or when you need help or, um, you know, when you've made a mistake. So uh, I, I do think, you know, it's, it's actually a core to being heart centered leaders that you're not perfect.
0: And that's, uh, that, that's basically the, the conversations that I want to have with leaders like yourself around the globe is I think people look at leaders, whether it be on an executive team or a C-suite leader who's running the ship and they see the stature and the level of success. And there's a bit of an insight that... You know everything about everything. And I think that's the biggest shift that I want to make in these conversations, especially in times like this. You can only lead with the information you have at the time that you have it. And I think being able to be open and communicative and vulnerable with your team is just such a proponent to being a heart-centered leader. What would you say is your top three heart-centered Characteristics that you bring to your leadership
1: role—you um, know—always hard to pick three. Um, you know, there, there's so many that are intertwined, but uh, uh, I like to think one of them is is deliberate. You know, and and by deliberate I mean uh, you know you you have a purpose and an intent whenever you're engaging with with someone. Um, you know, you do so with uh, with authenticity, and you're you're thoughtful about what is the conversation you're having, and and you know what is what's the intent and, and outcome you hope to have from that conversation. So, you know, one I think is is a heart centered leader is deliberate. Um, second, of course, empathetic, and empathetic is for me is is that you know, constant willingness to listen. Um, to do so and and absorb what you're hearing Uh, so you come at a at any sort of interaction uh, with a place of understanding because you you and I this was a a really key learning you know cross-culturally as as Japanese will will approach things differently than North Americans will uh, and not you know I I I learned and and embraced very early I'm not forcing any way you know because I know one way uh, I wanted to understand why you know why do they do it a certain way is there a benefit to it maybe I need to change Uh, maybe I can learn something and and so um, you know it wasn't always smooth sailing but uh, I think when you come at things from a place of of empathy and listening uh, critically important and then um, last is inclusive and uh, it was similar to something you, you just said about leaders feeling maybe they have to have all the answers. And, and I've never approached things that way. Uh, I've always thought that uh, people are engaged most when they're involved. Uh, and that means involved in problem solving. Maybe it's brainstorming. It's decision making. Uh, I want to hold teams and, and you know, people accountable to their roles and responsibilities. They're, they're experts in their field. Of course, that varies with with the levels that you're working with. But as a general statement, um, you've hired people for a certain role and responsibility in certain functions, and you want to give them. And and I want to give them, um, you know, that ability to make decisions and problem solve, not wait for the leader's opinion. Again, you know, that was a a cultural adjustment where uh, you know Japanese tend to put a, a higher premium on leadership as uh, you know, what they do is, is always correct and what they want is the way it should be because that's what the company says. Um, but it, it's not the culture that I grew up in, certainly within, within Gap Inc. And uh, it takes a lot of peeling away the layers of the onion uh, for them to know the, the genuine sincerity be- behind I want your opinion and I'd like you to make a decision uh, so we can learn from that decision and you can learn from that decision. So it's, it's a two-way street, but I think uh, being inclusive is, is maybe the third.
0: That is one of my favorite sayings. It's a two-way street. And as a coach, I cannot tell you how many times I say that in a conversation. <laughs> a relationship is uh, 50-50, right? So there's got yes. uh, to be both directions. You know, I'm curious to seek your opinion, uh, Paul, Paul. When I look at business acumen as a whole, and I think about the knowledge and the skills and the ability that you need to have as a heart-centered leader, where do you think we've perceived or felt we needed to practice the seriousness of leadership and not lead from the inside out, meaning from our heart? Do you think it stems from education? Do you think it's a combination of education, upbringing, and life experience? Where would you put a summary of your thoughts and experience with respect to that question?
1: Uh, yeah, I, I, funny you're asking because I was thinking, you know, as, as I was thinking about, you know, what might be discussed in today's podcast, um, you might ask a question similar to this. and. And I do think for myself, at least I can tell you, one, of course, is upbringing. Um, you know, I was, I was brought up and raised by a single mother of four children. And, uh, you know, she did everything to make sure that we, we had all the, the joys children would want to have and, and, you know, didn't feel much hardship. But, you know, there were certainly times she had to uh, offer the tough love, you know, and, and what were the limits. But, you know, one is upbringing for sure. And, and then second, I think, you know, it, it gets shaped through, uh, first and foremost, your, your career experiences, because you spend so much time at work. Um, I was fortunate that I was in a company, and an organization and, and my first bosses were, uh, were, were also, you know, you could define them as heart centered leaders. You know, they, uh, they demonstrated characteristics of, like the three that I just shared with you. So, you know, you learn from who you're directly uh working with um similarly that's supported by the culture of the company and you know what do they believe in and what are the values of the company that you're working for and and do they value people first and i can tell you uh, you know gap inc um, they did you know and and do i'm not there any longer so i assume they continue to do so but Um, you know that that a lot came from upbringing and then third absolutely life experiences you know you go through um, relationships friendships uh, um, you know people break trust people uh, work with uh, humor integrity and and you know heartbreak and you, you have all of those life experiences that shape you know who you are and I think uh, they they apply you know I, I I don't draw a line between life and work you know I, I try to pull learnings from what's going on in my life uh, and you know how do they apply to work so I, I think those three absolutely is, is, is what shapes uh, a leader
0: I, I fully agree with you and I want to go back uh, if I may and just, I want to read those points that you had typed yesterday on the LinkedIn post where we were talking about, we can do anything, but we can't do everything. And I think you listed some really great strategies. The first one B is be clear on your meaning, your purpose and intended outcomes. The second one is have few goals. Excellence comes with few, whereas average comes with many. I love that. Number three, Mm -hmm. using your purpose and goals as a foundation and categorize the to dos into buckets. And they are mission critical, important, nice in brackets if there's extra time, and not central in brackets to what we want to achieve. Love that. The next one is be comfortable to say no. I'm a big proponent of boundary management. So I'm, I'm a big fan of that one. Ask for help and opinions to gain or get perspective. And the last one is make your best decision with the information you have. And we chatted about that because yes. priorities are fluid and you can always adjust if you need to, when you get more or new information. So it's such a yes. moral compass to really Translate and be open and vulnerable with your staff. That you know, I'm truly pivoting and leading from this space right now because it's all I know and it's all I have. So critical. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, yeah, and I think important actually. If if it is fluid, you know, it, it kind of you have to be in a place where that's a culture you've sort of established of transparency or and or vulnerability. You know, as you're sharing with people. You know, based on what's going on now based on the circumstances of today and you know the information that we have these are the priorities we're setting forth you know and you, you sort of set up that that you know that can adjust and and that may shift as we learn more uh because if you don't do that I think then you're in the danger of people like saying oh this this guy can never prioritize <laughs> you know he's uh we're, we're constantly shifting, you know, nothing's clear, we cannot get traction, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, that's the pitfall, right? If, if, you're, if you're not leading you know, always from a sort of open, transparent um, place.
0: No, I fully agree. And I, uh, I've really enjoyed this conversation with you. And I want to thank you for staying up for me. And I like to end my podcast with what I call the Fab Four, so just going to okay. ask you four random questions, Paul, and whatever's on the top of your mind. It's, it's one of those things where I don't want you to think. I just want you to <laughs> tell me what's on your mind. What's been the favorite book that you've read this year in 2020?
1: Um, that's a good question, but I would say uh, probably Growth Mindset with uh, uh, Carol Dweck.
0: That's a good book, I love her work.
1: Yes yeah I reread ha- it actually <laughs> so is it, it's, it's one of those books
0: that you can reread, isn't it? Her work is amazing
1: yes. yeah. What is
0: your is. do you have a favorite sport that you like to either play or watch?
1: Yes, ice hockey, of course
0: ice hockey you're canadian i should have I should have <laughs> known right
1: <laughs> yeah yeah well funny funny thing actually, and, and I won't keep it long but uh, you know, I grew up in Canada, but never played ice hockey, just street hockey with my friends. And, um, I was never good on, on skates, but, um, you know, I've been in Japan now for 10 years and, uh, my son mostly grew up here, but he started to play ice hockey here and it got me like sort of regretting. And so three years ago, I actually started to play ice hockey in Japan. So, um, didn't really learn how properly in in Canada, but have taken it up the last three years. So it's never too late, I guess. It's never
0: too late, I was just gonna say. My third question is, what makes you curious?
1: Learning, you know, uh, and I guess, again, this experience to actually live and and work and uh, overseas and in different cultures, it's just it opens your eyes to so much of, uh, especially coming from a, what I can say now is a small town like Calgary, because, you know, Tokyo is massive. Just the exposure you can have by, you know, broadening your perspective and, and taking in new. Uh, it really is just about learning and, and, and growing a, a perspective and point of view. You know Curiosity, it's, it's one of those things where it was you know, do I fit that into my top three characteristics of a, of a heartfelt leader? And it didn't make the cut of it. It's probably number four because curiosity really is, is a foundation for so much.
0: Oh, I agree. And my last question is, I guess it's kind of a two-part question. What is your favorite thing about Canada and what is your favorite thing about Japan?
1: <laughs> so favorite thing about Canada is, uh, uh, of course, the the size and, and space and uh, that everything is, is open and accessible. So, um, you know, I, I say that because I can share with you about obstacle in Japan, but if I want to go play tennis, I can go to the public court down the street and it's, there's courts available and, and you know, there's so much choice in Canada from Uh, outdoor activity and and i i I like to be outdoors i like to play sports and and you know i love that about uh, canada as well as you know the passion of the people Um, what i love japan again gets rooted in people but uh, it's it's clean uh, it's respectful it's uh, amazing food uh, everything works, you know, it's uh, people respect other property, They're, they take care of uh, customers and, and you know, they, they take care of all their space around them. You know, it's a, a super clean city, very safe city, um, very respectful, and, you know, I love how easy it is and convenient everything is uh, to live here. So it makes a great place to to raise a family. But hard to do sports.
0: (laughs) Yes, it sounds like it. I'm just so grateful, Paul, that you reached out. And I want to thank you for being a heart-centered leader. I want to thank you for sharing your insights and your thoughts and your expertise. And I'm going to end my podcast today with my favorite five things. And that is to follow your heart, have passion, do your best, know your truth, and always be in love with the journey. This is Deb Crow. Thank you for joining me on the Imperfect Podcast, The Heart-Centered Leadership. Until next time.